Well, usually I reserve weather talk for my other delightful podcast, Pivotal Conversations, available at soundcloud.com slash Pivotal Conversations. Uh, you know, over there at Pivotal. But it's getting cold here in Amsterdam. It uh, it was maybe there was a slim chance it might even snow a little bit today, which looking at outside my window, I don't believe that. But I, I thought to ask you, you know, I'm from Texas. I don't know how to dress for the temperature and I'm figuring out how to use a scarf. But since <laughs> since you grew up in New England where it's cold, like do you have some tips for like winter wear, just daily winter wear and dress? I think my main tip would be the pants. I think I think oh. people are generally uh, schooled on layers, jackets, vests, scarves, mm-hmm. gloves, uh, and a hat, right? I mean, I think that's fairly obvious that you know you can put some combination together. You know, whatever it is, if you like to layer it up, or if you uh, prefer just to go with one heavy jacket, you know, I'll leave that to you to decide. But the mistake I think most people make is if it is very cold. You can't just, you know, you do need to have different kinds of pants. So if you live in Texas, you don't. You just have like, you just have jeans. That's it, right? Or whatever. You just have a couple. Just, just wearing uh, your Wranglers every day, right? Yeah, I mean, that's it. You don't really have it. But when you get, when it gets cold, you want something lined, right? Or you have to go to the whole, uh, you know, long underwear. So, you know, uh-huh. it's kind of, you have to have it aside. Like I, I prefer to me, it's like you want some heavy pants, maybe even some, some lined pants that, uh, you know, prevents the wind from, uh, especially, I don't, you know, I don't know Amsterdam as well, but like, you know, if you get between, uh, cities or between those, uh, you know, uh, I guess streets with the like tall buildings and the wind starts to whip, like that's why I find, uh, you have to have some pants that've got some, um, some girth to them, if you will. So that, that would be my main recommendation is when it gets cold, Go into a different section of the store and look for pants that have some lining in them, and you'll be much, much warmer than you than you are in just regular pants. Mm, man, you're eating the kind of pie I'm cooking. That's 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 been my thoughts exactly. Is like the flaw in this whole system is uh, is pants because I got I got the jeans, but I need I need the right kind of pants, and I think uh, I, I I'm having a lot of trouble uh, being comfortable with making a sufficient budget for buying winter clothes. But I think mm. that's I think that's something I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to spend more money on winter clothes. And I think one as you say it's either I I need to buy cuz I I'm imagining if you have the long underwear. Uh you can probably wear a pair of long underwear for 2 days before it's considered gross. Is that <laughs> is, is that cool? I don't know. I've, yeah, I I've, that's I've, a personal, you know, that's going to be a decision everyone makes for themselves. I've I've run several experiments being a work at home person about how long you can wear clothes and things like that, and and um, you can wear clothes a long time. Let me let me just throw that out there. A lot, but I will. You know, you the think. other thing that you should keep in mind is uh, I don't know if you or I like we wear this much day to day, but if you are in a job such where you wear, you know, slacks, you know, maybe mm-hmm. you're dressing up a little bit, you know, a little business, uh, you know, not even business casual, I'll say, you know, one step up above that, like, you know, whatever, business formal, because um, slacks can be extremely thin, right? That's yes. the worst case. So this is why you do see, I think a lot of times, uh, we'll just pick some arbitrary city like New York, right? Or uh, in the winter where the people wear like the long coats, you know, so that's the idea is that the long yes. coat comes back. Not only does it go right when I what I mean by that is something that extends kind of all the way down to about the knees is that's another like little trick. It's like, OK, well, if I'm going to dress nice, if I'm going to wear pants that 
are just by regular pants, then I'm going to layer up with a really nice coat. That's, uh, that's they're usually expensive, right? That's, this is where you get, like it not only does it have a, a, some waterproofing on the outside, right? But it has some kind of like thick, uh, yeah. uh lining to really make you warm. But again, that's the kind of a coat, like, I don't know. I, I tend to not wear those, but I know it's an option. So it's more like, I think that is sort of, this is where fashion and function sort of intersect. Like what kind of person are you? Do you like buy line pants and keep yourself warm with that with a regular jacket? Or do you actually step up and like have to like wear like a business formal all the time? And it makes sense to get like a really nice coat, kind of almost like a banker style coat. Yeah. Yeah. I, f- I feel like if I get maybe like three pairs of like thin long underwear, you know, then, uh, then I'll be set. And then I have like one or two pairs of like really thick for when it's like really cold that I can rely on. And I think that might work because I don't I don't know. I don't want to be in the market for like buying new pants. I got a I got I got, you know, my uh, my collection of now vintage jeans. I think I'll probably an average of 15 years old each pair. And, you know, they fit. I I don't want to I don't want to mess with that. I hear you. I hear you. No one wants to mess with jeans. When jeans fits, you just you just roll with it. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the ultimate. And then and then I just I need to I need to figure out this scarf wrapping. Like I can't I can't figure out how to get the scarf wrapped correctly so that the like lower part of my neck isn't still cold and and also so that my beard doesn't go perpendicular to my chin. It's very Oh. I gotta, yeah, the beard would be yes. It's a challenge. Yeah. yeah. I got to figure that out. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll as as winter uh, keeps coming here in Amsterdam, I'll be dropping some knowledge about uh, how to keep warm in the streets. But yeah, it's it's it gets really windy here. I didn't see this because I was at the Dell Technologies Forum UK in London yesterday. Uh, but Kim told me that it was so windy here that it knocked over bikes, not only on our street but many other streets. So that's that's a mean wind right there. I guess one rude, but also the uh, magnitude of it that it can knock over a bike. But yes, windy, very windy. Uh, yeah, so I was at the, uh, the the Dell Technologies Forum. I gave a little talk there, and and the uh, it wasn't recorded. I made a rehearsal recording. Actually, you know, I put a bunch of recordings of talks. Sometimes people ask for them, and if you go to Cote uh, dot coffee slash better software, uh, you can see a thirty minute talk. I got a fifty minute talk. And if you really don't want to do your regular job and are as uh, boring as I am in your entertainment choice, there's a 90 minute talk. You can check Whoa. out the whole the whole deal there. The 90 minute talk was mistaken was made by mistake when I was trying to make a 50 minute talk, and then when I was done, I was like, "Whoa, I talked for 90 minutes." Uh, but you know, I think maybe three or four times people have asked me to give a quote unquote workshop, uh, and it's more of a lecture uh, that I end up giving this 90 minute thing. So I was giving that talk. Uh, but, but the thing I want to know, note is uh, this is the first time this has ever happened. It, it was, uh, it was basically, it was in a big open area where they had four different speaking areas separated by like, you know, fabric as thin as the long underwear that I want to get. And it was like a silent disco PowerPoint thing, right? Where people had, people had earphones that they put on, Oh, wow. And, and okay. so I'm up there talking and there's there wasn't that many people in the audience for mine, but there was, you know, 15, 20 people with earphones on. And it's it's really weird because you can't like you can't like tell that you're like talking. I mean, I I don't know how to express it, but I when I was starting off, I was like, I mean, is this does can you hear me? Like, is this working? 
And, and, uh, cause it was super strange. Cause like everyone, everyone in the rest of the area is kind of like milling around, you know, trying to get free pins and, you know, bouncy balls that light up and stuff. Sadly, they weren't giving away laptops. I kept asking people to see if they were just handing out laptops, but not the case. Uh, so everyone's milling around and then you got these people with earphones on. And, and eventually I, I had to be like in my mind, like, well, I, I guess I'm just going to start presenting. <laughs> Did you do something? I would probably have done something like raise your hand if you if you can hear me or oh, just like just yeah. some some kind of visual like you're yeah. really there. No, that you know? I mean I mean I did say can you hear me and some people were like yeah, so they were they they're okay. Doing that. So you got some visual. Yeah. This seems like one of these things that uh, it's like the intersection of like really good event logistics versus like humanity. All right, <laughs> where like you can kind of see where this came up where someone's like. We don't have that much space, but we're gonna we have to have four tracks yeah, or whatever, yeah. and and so so someone did they did some like creative thinking, some lateral thinking, like you know what we could do, we could put everyone together and we'll use this headphones thing, and like when you're in the room, the meeting, you're like this makes total sense, and you could see as an events person who's just like yeah, the goal is to make sure we have uh, four spaces for people to talk, like a mm-hmm. big uh, open air forum thing, and uh, we don't have that much budget. And so they come up with this idea of like, oh, it's genius. But then you're actually at the conference and you're like, well, if we're all here together, right? Because like we should take advantage of the things that are good to be done like when you're around each other. Like you can talk, you have like ask questions. There, the idea too, like you know, you can pick up on visual clues as a presenter or as somebody that you know, like I'm getting it or I'm not getting it. You know, that's sort of the advantage of like being a live presentation. And then you immediately take that all away by isolating everyone in their own headset, right? And you're like, yeah. well, wait a minute, like we've now built a, a like we're doing a webinar live. You know what I mean? Like we've created the worst, like we made everyone fly here and, uh, and now we're doing a webinar. So we got kind of the, bo- the worst of all worlds. Uh, so I think this stuff happens all the time where someone else in that same meeting was probably like, you know, what we should do, we can only have one speaking slot, right? That's, that would, would make the most sense. We'll just have that way. Yeah, the yeah, presenters yeah. just know that everybody's going to be in one area. And then, and if we need to, we'll just make the presentation shorter. And somebody was like, oh, we can't do that. And it's like, no. Having one speaking slot and having shorter presentation, never the wrong, never mm-hmm. wrong in my mind. Because you take all the, the audience knows exactly where to go, right? Because there's just one place to go. And then if I just say, hey, Coach, hey, don't give me your 90 minute talk, give me your 30 minute talk. Like, it's fine. You'll have a good 30 minute talk and you'll just give me your, your best 30 minutes. And if it was great, I'll find you afterwards and we'll talk more. Yeah. But uh, so I don't know. So hopefully the silent disco uh, presentation format does not become popular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When, right before I was starting, I was, uh, you know, I think I've mentioned this before. I always try to like chat up and be friendly with the AV people because I don't know. They're fun to talk to, sort of. And uh, I was talking to one of them and I was like, this is uh, it's kind of a weird setup. And he was like, yeah, it is. <laughs> it was funny. But and then and then, you know, the event as a whole, I think I think it's worth doing a little commentary. I, it was uh, and I don't mean this in some sort of backhanded way. It was a lot better than I would expect it to be. Like I have been to more than my share. I have been to five lifetimes a share of like vendor conference junket things right and this is basically like a total you know dell technologies you know the the family of people them presenting about their stuff with some um uh partner companies probably ponying up for some booth space but it's a big dell conference uh that's why pivotal was there and uh i didn't see all the presentations but some of them were you know presentations you would expect in such a setting but other ones seemed like pretty helpful but I think I think the main thing that was interesting is um, 
it was like the show floor. And there was a lot of people who are, I guess what I would call uh, quality, qualified leads who came up and talked to us at the pivotal table. It was kind of uh, astonishing. Like I've been to, you know, like Gartner conferences and DevOps days, all these conferences. And it's, it's, uh, it happens a lot less than you would think that like people you're actually interested in selling to and that are interested in you kind of just walk up to your booth. It's mostly a bunch of, as they say, looky-loos and people who just want some socks, which is fine, right? Uh, but yeah, it was actually a good good amount of uh, good quality people that come up that came up, including one software defined talk listener who uh, who came up. And uh, this this is this is the embarrassing that happens. People come up and say, "Oh, I listened to your podcast." And I, and, and I, I try to, I have to be disciplined. I have to say, and I, this probably comes off as annoying. I have to be like, Oh, which one? <laughs> Cause it's hard to know which one. Usually they mean this podcast, but he, he was quick. He was like, Oh, well, I see you're not wearing the white hoodie. And I was like, boom, software defined talk. That's oh, what you that's right. To. That's the code word. I yeah, like it. That's, that's right. Uh, he should, he should have gotten three stickers. I get, I gave him two. When people oh, come okay. up to me, I give them like two stickers. Yeah. Cause I'm All like, right, you get two stickers. But yeah, that was so that was nice meeting someone. And, uh, you know, we, we should we, you and I were talking about some sort of uh, some sort of book project around like how to how to enterprise software vendor. That would be a good title for it. Uh, and uh, I think I think this this vendor conference, there's that would be a good topic in it. And then the other topic is something that you were alluding to that I remember when I was at Dell and this doesn't happen at Pivotal so much, but like. There are many instances in a big company where the people arranging and doing the event and everything aren't really the ones who speak at them and ha don't really have experience, you know, doing public speaking all the time. And there can be an interesting, weird mismatch across all sorts of events with that, which uh, kind of like you were saying, right? Like people think it would be a great idea to have like a silent disco thing and, you know. Anyone like myself or yourself who's given a talk would be like, mm, that's going to be really weird. <laughs> like, like it's just these things that are only intuitively obvious to you if you've, you know, done like five, 10, 200 talks at places like this. Uh, and then of course there's the prepared slides. That's, that's always fun. That's, <laughs> that's just, always the best. Yeah. That's just like, I don't, mm, I don't know what, uh, I will say the prepared slides combined with, uh, the silent disco talk is sort of breaking new ground on, uh, just the craziness. You're like, okay. <laughs> like you're like, you're now full on into, wait a minute. Like I'm not, you're telling me to talk to something I'm not necessarily sure I should talk to. And no one's going to really, we're all going to be isolated in our own earphones. You're like, yeah, no, I think we should just make a YouTube video, right? That would be the answer to that question. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's it's it sort of worked out based on the uh, feedback I got afterwards from the audience. But yeah, it, it it was weird. Anyhow, anyhow. So let's let let's say you're out there. You're uh you're no you're actually doing real work, not just slides and PowerPoint stuff. You're not doing your your silent disco PowerPoint, and you're trying to de-weirdify what's happening in your infrastructure area. Maybe you got you got your DevOps going on. You've got a DevOps here, a DevOps there. Everyone a DevOps, DevOps, and uh, you need some way of sorting through everything that's out there. Is there is there something you might want to look into that could help you out I, with that, Brandon? I think so, and I think you know this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds, and this week SolarWinds wants you to know about their tools designed for DevOps. So it's Pingdom, App Optics. Paper Trail, and Logly, all fine products. And today, recognized pillars of observability combine metrics, traces, and logs to enable DevOps teams to monitor system and application performance. 
But these capabilities provide only limited insight into application performance because they ignore the user's experience, a critical measure of application performance. Understanding if a system is slow or unavailable from an end user perspective is crucial in today's digital world, even if the metrics are good and there are no alerts. Altogether, the combined functionality of Pingdom, App Optics, Paper Trail, and Logly brings together real user monitoring, synthetic user monitoring, web and application performance metrics, distributed tracing, event aggregation, and log management to help proactively identify bottlenecks and accelerate troubleshooting. By bringing user experience, metrics, traces, and logs together with an easy-to-use, complementary toolkit, DevOps team gain unmatched visibility into their cloud environment so they can seamlessly follow an alert or issue from one product into another to resolve issues quickly and get back to focusing on the more productive elements of their job. Over 275,000 customers worldwide and 499 of the Fortune 500 trust and rely on SoloWinds for their monitoring software. To learn more or try the company's DevOps products for free, visit solarwinds.com slash DevOps. Again, that's solarwinds.com slash DevOps. And are you going to, to AWS reInvent? I hope, Cote, I hope you are. I know you're not. But if you were, I would want you to visit SolarWinds at booth 608 to see their products designed for DevOps firsthand. And of course, when you see them uh, at uh, AWS reInvent, make sure to tell them that your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. And we appreciate them sponsoring this episode. You should you should ask them if they have a uh, software defined talk sticker, knowing that they won't have one, and maybe <laughs> maybe you can generate interest that we send them stickers and they start having them at their booth. We <laughs> we we could print up some little poster of the three of us like doing the comical thumbs up, and it'll be like you know as as heard on software defined talk. We can. That's right. That's exactly what we need. And more importantly, whoever the uh, the the remaining loan holdout in the Fortune 500 guys. I, I want them to buy the uh, buy some solid wins. So get in there, whoever, whoever you are, company out there. But you know, make it five hundred for five hundred for solid wins. Yeah, yeah. That's that's exactly what I was going to say. I think I think I think we should make an offer right now, Brandon. If uh, if company five hundred becomes a customer of Solar Winds, we will use some of this sweet Solar Winds money we get for this ad and send you a uh, a turkey. Turkey and some t-shirts. How's that? How about some t-shirts? Oh, oh, I know. Oh no, let's let's make it even better. We'll ship you a brisket. All right, done, done. Whoever the uh, so whoever you are, if you are, just email us that when you when you bought something for SolarWinds and you'll get a brisket, a good brisket. It'll be a good one from Austin, Texas. Yeah, yeah. so you'll enjoy it. So if if you work at a Fortune 500 company, find out if you use SolarWinds, and if you don't, you might be the one, and uh, a brisket could be in your future. I I don't know how we'll verify any of this. <laughs> but, but it's 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 the uh it's the uh, uh 2018 uh black friday solar winds brisket penetration bonanza <laughs> it'll be great <laughs> all right well uh you know speaking of uh, how to enterprise software vendor i think i think some of the most uh exciting i don't know one of one of, i think the uh, the main the main news thing i don't know if any other news happened is you got over the weekend you got uh, you got Diane Green over there at Google going to rotate out at the end of the year and uh, and then you got Thomas Curian from uh, late of oracle and spending time figuring out what he wants to do with his life if i remember the uh, the reason for leaving oracle He's going to become the CEO of uh, Google Cloud. Brandon, what are your what's your first reactions? 
Yeah, so, you know, lots of thoughts on this. One, I did not hear anything or rumblings that Diane Green was about to leave or, or, or st- I guess in we should be clear, uh, make sure we're clear on this, that she's actually just, I guess, just returning to full-time board members. So right, of, of Alphabet. So, of Alphabet, the Google company. So, I mean, so obviously there's lots of stuff going on at Google. So at first you're like, oh, that's interesting she's leaving. But it sounds more to me, this is just a more, more traditional, you know, e- either she decided that, hey, I've done my thing for three years, I got it started, and I'm ready to turn, turn, it, uh, turn it over to somebody, or something else happened, right? And it was like, hey, we're not making enough progress. So um, I found it surprising. Like, I, I thought she had, you know, was, because we saw, I think we talked about, you know, uh, Google at their last, what, I think it was IO, is what they call it, right? And she was up there, she gave a good talk, she seemed, you know, to me, seemed like she was, you know, not going to do it forever, but I didn't see her, like, ending this year. So that was a little surprised to me. I think other people on uh, on the internet, as they say, kind of said that like, they kind of knew about it, but I, I have to say, to me, I was surprised by it. And then, two, I, I think the question this brings to mind, I think about this question a lot, is like, to be a successful vendor in selling cloud computing, right? Like, do you need to be at a place that was, quote, born in the cloud, right? And I think that would essentially be AWS itself or Google. They're the ones that mostly play that role. Or can you become a enterprise tech company that converts itself over? And I think Oracle and IBM would be the more traditional ones um, in that category. And then, of course, like I kind of put Microsoft in this weird like middle category. They're kind of a little bit of both. <laughs> that right? that category called <laughs> successful? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But like I don't know if I can say they were like quote born in the cloud but i think they're yeah, distinctly no, different not. from yeah. ibm and google they're yeah. not you know what i mean they're kind of this own thing so in this case it's like a um uh, uh, it's it's sort of a an opinion on this it's like a thomas Curian, right because he's been at oracle for i think 20 plus years right i mean it's mm-hmm. almost his whole career and he had obviously advanced to a pretty high level there so you're kind of seeing and he probably had his own reasons for leaving of course but the fact that he's going from like the traditional enterprise vendor trying to convert themselves to the cloud to if you will the upstart cloud native vendor um that and trying to build an enterprise company i mean it kind of gives you a clue of how he thinks right it's like hey i really you know one way to say it would be like i think i need a stronger technology vetted out through like lots of use as in cloud native situations um, native to like being Google to really be successful. And he must think to himself that like I can bring the enterprise discipline and enterprise playbook yeah. to that and make it successful, which, um, which I tend to agree with, but I don't know. What are, what are your thoughts? Is that the way if you're kind of like, I can give you either job, like if you're the, you can have the Oracle cloud job or the Google cloud job, like mm. how would you go about evaluating that? Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, oh yeah. I was going to give you a short answer, but then I remember this is, this is our podcast. I don't need to do that. Uh, <laughs> I think, uh, that said, yeah, I mean, I think, I think in the, in, in that hypothetical situation, obviously you choose Google, right? Like to, to quote Eric Schmidt, I think, and, uh, who's, who's the not Sheryl Sandberg who was at Google and then was the Yahoo CEO? Oh, Melissa Mayer. Yeah, I think I think the I, I think the story she told is she was interviewing. It was either her or someone else. They were interviewing at Google way way ahead, and uh, there was some hesitation about working there. And Eric Schmidt was like, "Hey, when uh, when someone is asking you to like uh, jump on a rocket, you you don't really ask them like you know what seats available. You just get on the rocket, right? Like, <laughs> d- d- don't just do it. And so like." I think I think Google is still very much so in a uh, in a rocket position, and uh, and obviously I think I think the um, 
I don't think there's any dispute that their technology works. <laughs> and and in the in the classic sense, and this is all as we've learned uh in the last five years of sort of like, you know, anti hero like whatever culture, uh like uh in all the best ways they have the classic nerd think tank thing going on, right? Like they they make good technology that that works well. I mean, have you used Google Photos? That thing's phenomenal. And even even the uh propeller heads over at Apple can't like figure out how to manage photos from a hole in the ground. <laughs> Like they just like, they just like fuck that up like a headless like person riding a bike in a windy canal. Like they just like don't know what the fuck they're doing there. Uh, in the sense that like, if I have these photos, here's the core thing I want uh, to do. I want them to be available. See you later. Right? Like, <laughs> like I want them easily available. I don't want to have to like manage the storage for them. I don't know. You can insert my uh, multi-year rant against uh, Apple photos photos in there. If you're interested in that. Uh, so yeah, like the Google technology works, right? And what everyone, including ourselves, always say about uh, Google uh, is that they're really goofy when it comes to enterprise sales. And there's a, uh, I, I was, I was hurriedly reading through all the write-ups about this, which, which I'll, I'll get to soon. And, uh, everyone's favorite, uh, quotable analyst, R. Ray Wang, uh, from Constellation Research, he had some pretty good, uh, analysis uh, kind of summing up of this enterprise thing right and and it's basically like what does it mean to do enterprise sales it means like uh you go like glad hand and you know stakes and golf a lot of people uh and like you kind of do what they want and like you close these big deals and you don't have these like goofy transactional sales like you do at low volume there was a good there's a good interview in one of these pieces or interview you know a couple of quotes from um what's his name Lu lucerne i always forget how to say his last name the the new relic person as as we're fond of pointing out, man, that's a racket. Just like like keep doing APM over and over again. Do do your little Wiley, <laughs> then do some new relic, and you got your app dynamics people. Love love the APM racket. Uh, but also also as seen in um, uh, Peregrine Remedy and uh, Service. Now that that movie was good too. Uh, sort of like your Star Trek Star Wars uh, combo there. So everyone's all like, you got to do more enterprise stuff. And I don't know, hiring what seemed like the number four person at Oracle. There's an enterprise person, <laughs> right? Like who has 20 years at arguably, no matter what you say about Oracle, I haven't done my prep work, but I'm pretty sure they make a shit ton of money from selling to the enterprise and they know exactly how to sell to the enterprise and, and retain customers. And I'm sure, um, as, as all, I mean, I'm sure a lot of their problem was like, they just didn't have a, uh, a believable, uh, sort of like scaled up technically, whatever fills all the boxes, public cloud. So they can't just like win a general public cloud. And so oftentimes I, I imagine if you're an executive, I mean, this is kind of a little bit of, um, passing the buck, I guess. But, you know, you often like know all the mechanics of what you should be doing as as this guy should from having uh, I think he built out the middleware business in the 2000s and then worked on kind of like, I don't know if it was ill fated, but the kind of like uh, kind of bumpy road of fusion. You remember fusion at Oracle? It was of course it was like middleware. And then I think it transferred into becoming just integrating together all their ERP apps and things like that. And then last I remember from reading things a little while ago, he was basically in charge of all of product 
which which I assume is like most everything. <laughs> and if you go back a few years, you read the articles about when he was promoted to president and he was uh he's kind of like he was he it sounds like he was kind of in that like uh Steve Bannon position where like Larry would be like, "What do you what do you think of that? What do you think of that? What do you make of that?" And uh and then obviously at some point he fell out of favor or and you see this happen at Oracle all the time. Like remember um what was his name? Charlie Phillips. He unfortunately had had an affair and uh, his the lady he was having an affair with put up a bunch of billboards in San Jose of pictures of them together. Oh, I think wow. he broke up with him. You should go search for that. That's uh, OK. That's uh, wow. Uh, uh, now he is the CEO of Infor. But I think, you know, I think there's a history at Oracle of if you're not Larry Ellison, Safra Katz or Mark Hurd you're not going to become CEO. (laughs) And so, uh, you know, you rotate out, right? And so I would assume, and I'm doing the positive case here, uh, that like this, this, well, you don't even have to do positive. It's like, uh, yeah, the dude knows enterprise software sales and he probably knows the CIOs, CEOs, and boards of pretty much all of those, not only 499 Fortune 500 companies, but all of them. And all government stuff. And so it's like, here, here's your enterprise stuff, Google Cloud. Like, run with it. And not only that, you actually have a product that works and is ready to go. And then, um, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, uh, I, I think I'll use this as the title for the episode, my little jokey title for the section, but it's just like, for, for like two years, we've all been running around saying that like Google doesn't understand enterprise and then they hire an enterprise person. And then all of a sudden, and I use the word we loosely, we're like, oh, that was a terrible idea. This would never work. And it's just like, what the, like, who did you think they were going to hire? Yeah. Like what, what did you want them to do? (laughs) Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think the whole thing, it it does seem like this interview process was probably pretty simple was just what you said. Google's like, yeah, you know, if you think about kind of, you know, the fictitious, you know, 30 minute interview, it's like, well, Hey, like, what are you looking for? I'm looking for someone who's really successfully built enterprise software businesses at scales of billions of dollars. It's like, okay, check. Well, what have you been doing? Well, I've been Oracle 20 years and I've uh, built and scaled successful enterprise businesses. Like, okay, well, that's good. Like, when can you start, right? I mean, you feel like that was just yeah. uh, as simple as it was. And I think you hit on it, um, and I think that's the part I kind of think a lot about is no matter what level uh, your your job is at, like, I think the rule of, like, do these people have a good product is never a good thing. It's always a good thing to be asking yeah. yourself. And I think that's when I'm – if I'm Thomas Curian, that's what I thought. He's probably saying to himself, you know, the problem was we could make the sales – at Oracle, it was hard to deliver, yeah. right? All yeah. this stuff. And I, I think anyone that has worked in enterprise software can relate to that. Like, hey, we got the meeting. Everything was going well. But there's point. the point came when we had to show them stuff and it didn't go as well as we wanted. Right? Yeah, yeah. So, so when you're operating from like, hey, these guys have the thing, you say to yourself, like, I know how to fix that. Now, I do think there is the risk of like the culture thing around I this is just an outsider having no inside information. Yeah. I think if he comes in and tries to discipline like an enterprise sales, um, you know, kind of sales culture, right? And this is how we want to like it's really you no. Know, I know he's described as the product person, but I think it's more if he spends more time on the go to market. I think he will be more successful. I yeah, think yeah. The thing that probably is that trips the uh, people like this up in these positions is like if you go in and say, well, hey, I'm a, you need to like 
reorient how you build software and your engineering processes aren't right and like yeah i need yeah. more powerpoint roadmaps like you could mess up yeah that's like a really the, good the, point the machine so i think where he chooses to spend his time is going to really give you an indication of success and then i think the final thought around um this as well is just like the thing outwardly that sometimes is confusing to Google when you watch them is like they'll the times, you know, decide that there are contracts, like, you know, they don't want to bid on. Right. Or like, we're not sure if we want to be involved in this customer or this. Uh, and then, you know, AWS or Amazon is like, yeah, we do business with the government. Like this answer is just always like, you know, this is like, <laughs> yeah, of course, we work with these customers and it's important. And I think that's um, I mean, it seems simple and it kind of seems obvious. But like if you are going to be an enterprise vendor. That's kind of the gig, right? It's like you go work yeah. with all these companies. You're not, you're trying to help the company. You're not trying to evaluate their business all the time. And may, you know, if you don't want to do it, that's different. If you're like, I just don't want to work with certain customers, but it, that isn't really how enterprise sales works. So I think he'll easily kind of change that cultural attitude. It's like, it's not that we're going to say no to everyone. It's like, no, we're going to go find a way to work with them, right? That's, um, again, seems simple, but I think that'll be something he's probably very effective at changing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, you bring up a good point of like, uh, it's probably with an engineering culture, you have to be really careful of meddling with it. And other than just being uh, dumb, and just wanting to micromanage and, and meddle, which uh, some, some of the overviews of, of him kind of indicated that he, what was it that it's hard for him to like delegate things or something, but I don't know, we'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, I don't know what that we'll see means. Like I'm going to be covering this closely or something, <laughs> you know, the ins and outs, like I'm going to go have coffee over there in the Valley with the insiders who know these things and blah, blah, blah. Like I don't, I don't fucking know anything. Uh, but we could make a quick on your thing. Why not? We can make some predictions here or like, how will we measure success here? Oh, I yeah, think yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll just go back to like, you know, this is going well if he's just works here four years. Right. I could yeah, say to myself, yeah. like, he comes in and over the next four years, he instills uh, kind of, you know, an enterprise go to market and we see yep. Google uh, go off and make, you know, really make some inroads in competing with Amazon, not beating them, but like, you know, really a strong enterprise business. And I think everyone would be very happy. He would and his his bosses would be happy. Now, I think if it's 18 months or less and suddenly he's decided to like go pursue time for this family, like we could say, well, that did not go well, right? Mm. Something, you know, some kind of culture. Yeah, yeah, uh, the, yeah. the culture clash didn't. Uh, I guess there was a culture clash. The the uh, the outsider didn't take. So that'll be an easy way to kind of like you know see, yeah, see success yeah, or yeah. failure of this. I'll, I'll I'll play that game. I think I think you got a few you got a few synergistic cargo culting mileposts to go through, including some genuine ones. The first one is uh, how does he dress in his first public conference, right? Because every single picture of him. He's got like a great like FBI suit on, like boom. He's just like he kind of dresses like a Republican, except his tie is never red, uh, and so he doesn't even he doesn't have like you know the the Democrat like uh, you know top two buttons down breezy kind of thing going on. So we'll see. Is he going to wear a suit and like a nicely done tie, or is he going to come out with uh, you know like like his bosses do, like wear those, uh, those glove shoes. Like, did I, have I told this story where I was at a, a Google IO thing and one of the, one of the, I forget which one, one of the billions years billionaires came out and it looked like he had just like come off of a rock climbing wall or something. And he was wearing those like glove shoes. And it's just like, usually, usually I don't, I don't care, but those things are ridiculous. And, um, you know, 
could could you resurrect Google Reader? Is that <laughs> is that what happened? <laughs> Anyways, so you got that. You got to see like is is he going to uh, you know maybe wear a polo? We'll see what happens. Right. Uh, well, I think you're right. I think we should with the first public. I don't know when the first conference is, but I think for sure we should say if he comes out in what I would call enterprise uh, tech uniform of uh, our executive uniform would be a blue blazer t-shirt kind of like a t-shirt or polo underneath with some like dark jeans that are uh-huh. like like brand new yeah. uh, and some nice shoes. And we will say he is adopting to their culture, right? Yeah. We'd be like, okay, he is sort of like ingraining himself. Even if it doesn't look 100% natural, he's attempting. But if he comes out full-blown, you know, corporate suit, we'll know, okay, he is really trying to put the culture of enterprise sales into Google. And, yeah, so we'll, yeah. and, then we'll, and we'll get a sense of like what's working and what isn't. Now, you know, what's, what's going what's gonna, to uh, be a bunch of uh, chaff and flares in our, our, uh, our detection here is if he comes out in a suit, but he's wearing sneakers. I don't know what to do with that. That's, yeah, that's just yeah. Well, especially too if they're like the Nike Air Force Ones or something. Ooh. Then we're going to be confused. We're going to be like, huh? What does this really mean? <laughs> like, is this? It's a tough. That's a that's, tough call. That's I yeah. Think. If if I was at four five one, I would be covering that event, and in the four five one take, it would simply be, huh? <laughs> hard, hard to know. And and then and then I think I think the second milestone. So I think. I think from from what very little I know, I think there is a enterprisey structure kind of in place there, right? Like there's different regional things. They've got sales engineers, they've got industry people there, kind of leading like a field force. You know, uh, all, all sorts of things going on there. They they uh, they didn't get Mark Schwartz. That would have been a good get. Instead, AWS has has him. Uh, but so you got that kind of setup. But I think you're exactly right. What you want to see is basically him just fixing up the sales organization uh, and probably figuring out, you know, and then of course, a lot of this, him doing it is like putting a team in place that does this and setting the context so a team can do it. Uh, I mean, that's all you can really do at that level if you actually want to succeed. But, you know, somehow they've got to like figure out what is that pitch to the enterprise? Or you just do the thing where you reframe the whole thing and be like, this is an absurd position. But anyways, yeah, just setting up like... You would see them, they would appear in more enterprise kind of things and have more reference cases of enterprises using them. And I don't know, that's about it, right? And then I think the third thing is, the more genuine thing is what you're saying is if if it's like three or four years and the wheels don't fall off and everything is cool and Kubernetes still rules, then big success, <laughs> right? Like, like I, I, think, I think they're really just in the position of like, they just need to kind of continue on the trajectory they're on. Uh, and, uh, everything will be dandy, but yeah, I mean, every, everyone's like, I guess, I guess maybe if you have firsthand experience working with this dude and he turns out that he's like a terrible person, then that would be one thing. But like everyone is like weirdly down on it. And it's just sort of like, I don't know, man, like it seems fine. Like, it seems like, like from what I know as an outsider, it seems like totally cool. And, uh, and, and then I guess the only other thing I would add, um, is, uh, you know, I've been involved in a couple of like executive searches kind of on the periphery and, uh, in very rare exception, you just sort of like pick the person and not talk to anyone else, right? Like you got whole executive. And in fact, it's probably, there's probably not regulatory and legal things, but it's probably irresponsible to not interview a broad swath of people. So, you know, you come up with a list of people that you would like. And you kind of like weight them and you talk with them and uh, you kind of filter through some things. You might even make offers to other people. And usually, of course, 
despite what people say, you know, money is a big motivator, right? Uh, so that's that's important. But usually, I think a lot, from what I can tell, a lot of what executives are negotiating is like, so how much power am I going to have to like define what my role is and also like accomplish things the way I think that I want to accomplish them, right? Because you don't want to be in a situation where either, I mean, the worst situation is you're already a successful, you know, executive and you're basically quasi-retired, like you're probably advising some uh, some PE firms and then you go like back to your workaholic lifestyle uh, at this firm and you're like, oh, I have no power to do anything. And now I'm just getting blamed for all this stuff, right? Like you don't want that. Or you could have left uh, a good job and now you have that. So you want to know, like, am I actually going to be given the authority to do this job? And I, I think that's probably a huge part of the negotiating that goes on. And I could see that with Google, that would be really difficult to figure out. Uh, it, it would be a strange, you know, you would say like, well, you just canceled Google Reader. I mean, <laughs> why is this trustworthy? Most successful RSS reader in the world. And you're just like, nope, don't care. God. Yeah, don't care. Don't care, man. But yeah, well, yeah think, and, and then I think I, I think the yeah. other angle, the other angle that's important to like in the in the commentary and meta analysis of, of all of this is like unless something and with Google, this could be the case. But unless something stupendously out of the ordinary happen, you're probably talking about at least a six month process, if not like a 12 month process. Right. And and then something this well planned, you can also kind of walk it back where. Probably at the beginning, I don't know what Google's fiscal year is, but at fiscal this year, calendar year 2018, I would imagine Diane Green was like, mm, I think at the end of this year, I'm out, right? Like I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rotate back up to the board and like, I, I don't want to do this anymore. And so you sort of start to kick off that engine. You make your spreadsheets of the people to hire and then it's like March and, and then you're kind of rolling into April and May and you're kind of casually talking to these people. You know, you're just like, ah, oh, I was over, you know, climbing a rock wall in Thailand and I happened to run into this other person that I know. And I was like, where'd you buy your glove shoes? And we talk about that. And they're like, you want to run the cloud? And so you have these casual conversations. And then it's probably about like June or July. And Diane's like, I, I got to get the fuck out of here. Are we going to hire someone or not? And then you're kind of narrowing down and narrowing down. And um, I don't know. So it takes a long time. And then the reason it seems well orchestrated and planned is like, it's it's kind of a weird anomaly where you announce before it's going to happen, like that I'm going to be the, C the, the CEO till the end of the year. And then I'm going to still be on the board. Like that's very orchestrated. Usually it's just like, I'm gone. This new person's a CEO. <laughs> so mm -hmm. it seems like there's a lot of planning. And I think uh, the the whole point of that is like there's probably a lot of deliberation and talking to various people and it also makes you wonder about like you know this I'm going to take off some time to go sort things out and I'm sure this dude was negotiating like hey so am I going to become CEO or not and then there's all this him and Han and flights to Hawaii and playing tennis with Mark Hurd and all that kind of stuff and I don't know probably a lot of fun intrigue in the background if you're I definitely, in that. what do you think I'm always interested in uh, you know what it was really like to interview because like because I'll just say like a staff level position today like you know today like the interview cycle for developer things pretty well known it's like get on the phone you do the phone screen they'll send you like a some kind of coding test you go online you know you go in and you do some whiteboarding maybe some more coding questions and then you know, maybe you get hired right and I think product management it's like there's everyone's big on like the case study right it's like can you come in and like present Oof. something right yeah. like you gotta like 
what would you do in this situation? Like, like I, could, what would you do if we wanted to be the Airbnb of residential <laughs> window sales? Right. Yeah. It's always something like this. And then they're always like very focused in on like data is the big thing. Like, can you like, Ooh. like, do you mention like in your answer to the questions? Are you like, well, I'd, I'd look at the data and then I'd look at like monthly active users. Like it's just really important, right? Cause that's like the big thing in product management right now. It's like, so you go in, you do that and then, you know, hopefully you meet everyone and there's like the, the personality test. So, uh, and then I, I was reading this thing, uh, this guy that became uh, the growth hacker guy that got the job at Injuries and Horowitz. He's like, yeah, he he published this 80 slide deck that he that he did as part of his Andreessen interview. Like, you know, sort of like this is what growth marketing is and why like he should be a partner at a VC firm. So like, hey, if you're interviewing at, at uh, Andreessen Horowitz, you can look at that one. So but that brings me back to what I was originally thinking here was. Like, what was the interview process? So obviously he gets on the phone, but did they did they say to him like, hey, can you come in and present to the board like your plan? Like, what's your plan to take Google Cloud? Or is he like, no, oh, you know, or is he like, no, I have a job at Oracle. I don't have time to do that, right? <laughs> also, like somebody at this level, like I don't, um, you know, my experience has been is at this level they have like teams of people doing slides for them, right? That yeah, they wouldn't yeah, just. Yeah. Whereas like no one, I you know, just use myself when. Someone asked me to put together a PowerPoint. No surprise to do one. Like I open PowerPoint and I create it. You know what I mean? It's like there's not like there's no one else involved. So I I, I don't know. It would be fascinating to understand if it was just like your experience is enough. Like we just want you over here and you'll figure it out. Or if there was kind of like the we'll call it the Adrian and Horowitz. Like I need 80 slides from you mm. about why you're the greatest person ever and you have some superpower that our company needs. So yeah, I would love yeah. to know what happened there. I mean, just to like speculate based on like, you know, whatever. Uh, I would imagine that there's just basically like conversations and, and at most there might be like a, a memo that gets written, right? Like here's here's a memo of what I would do if if I were in this job. And, and, and I, I always found that like the, that executive to executive menu, memos were like surprisingly not, well written that's the wrong way of putting it they were well written but they weren't like what's the word i'm looking for they weren't i'd say they weren't proven out yeah it, it was it's, just they're very uh candid but they're short on detail yeah my, yeah that's they, my uh thinking as, to, to use my metaphoric way of saying it there ain't no citations right like as, right. As, it drives me bonkers when people don't have citations for bold claims but like they don't really do that. So you would just have like, it's pro probably like an, an email, you know, and it's just like a six to 10 page, like, here's what I would do. And here's what I think. And, and so, you know, uh, and, and a lot of, a lot of the experimenting there is like both directions of saying like, is this the kind of place where I can operate? And the other people are like, does this person speak our language and will we fit in with them? Because you're basically hiring a peer. <laughs> so you want to know if they fit well. Uh, and then there's probably also like, you know, then also part of the process is like, each side asking around and talking to people that they know. I mean, I can't imagine that there's uh, there's like making slides and going over cases. And then, of course, you're going to talk to the board people, right? And just kind of uh, sit down and talk to various board members and see if that jives. And I don't know, but it, it is uh, it's it's a lot different than being the Airbnb of a uh, of a window company. <laughs> like I often right. I, I I often think like what what would it be like you know, like hopefully not when, but when and if I have to like go formally interview somewhere and I'm just going to be like, uh, can you watch this video? Like that's, that's what I do. I don't know what to tell you. Like I'm, I'm pretty much like what it says on the tin. And I don't think you should be an Airbnb of residential window selling. 
That's that's my advice. Did I get the job? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what you're getting at is how much can any hiring manager assume? You know, it's sort of like what I call them, like you know, credit credit knowledge or assume knowledge, or like you know, you've worked at these places for long enough. Like we're just going to make some core assumptions, like about like where you what you know how to do, and then we're going to go from there. Or do you have to go? all the way to the beginning. It's like, I have no idea who you are. I, yes, I read your resume, but I need to prove out everything. You know I mean? We need to start from the yeah. very beginning. I need you to demonstrate everything that you've ever done. Um, and you know, every, every company. And I think, you know, to back to this Google thing, like another thing I think we can all probably every listener here can, can use to measure, like, is there a change in the Google cloud? It's like, when you get the call from the Google recruiter, does the pitch change? Like today, the mm. pitch from the Google recruiter is always something like, we just hire smart people and we need to know if you're smart and then we'll figure out what you'll do after you uh, get an offer, right? Like you can be on the, well, you're not on Google reader team, but you could be on Google maps or you could be on uh, Kubernetes, right? Like whatever. And so uh, what you could see if there's a change here would be when the Google recruiter calls you up is do they either recruit for a specific function or a specific area or do they qualify you in some way? It's like, Hey, we're really looking for people in Google Cloud that have experience doing X, Y, Z. Or mm-hmm. we're looking for really bright people to work on the consumer side that um, you know ha- possess these kinds of qualities, right? So if I think you start to have conversations like that, you'll know that, again, some cultural change is taking place. If it's just the same old thing, which maybe it works, like maybe it all just works, maybe smart people all the time are, are doing well, um, then you'll know that, well, the recruiting process hasn't changed at all. There's no additional value on, say, someone that's been experienced in a, a cloud technology company. That isn't necessarily more valuable to them than just being someone who can design the Airbnb for Windows uh, you know, case study. So that'll be fun to watch. We should totally go do that case study now. and That would be great. We can just submit that as, uh, as any interview material we ever need in the future. Yeah. But, you know, and, and then and then another another thing I was I was thinking. So I, I finished reading uh, this book. What, what's it called? Uh, the Corporate Culture Survival Guide. Now, after I read this, I went to Goodreads to say that I had read it. And it turns out I've already read this book, which shows you how <laughs> memorable it was whenever I read it long ago. But it's actually it's a pretty good book. Like I've been spending time trying to figure out what exactly culture is. And more importantly, like and so what <laughs> like like what to do about it in a tactical way which speaking of pivotal conversations i had this uh the last interview we had i had this this uh i mean it was spelled out for me so it's not like i had this i generated this epiphany but i realized that the reason why this concept of culture and especially empathy has always been like annoying to me in the devops space is like like i don't know in a work situation what tactically I'm supposed to do with empathy. And and it made me realize that like we always have this talk of like empathy and understanding what it's like to be in someone's shoes, but there's not like, you know, a 10, bu- 10 bullet point list of like, and then here's what you do with that. Like, here's how you actually use this to achieve your goals and do things like that. And, and like, this is like the, like the utility of empathy. Like if we could go over that, that would be amazing. I could be into that. Like how you use it as a, as a tool. Cause basically uh, I'm a heartless, soulless person who just takes a utilitarian view of everything out there. But don't, I mean, in the you know on the DevOps culture side too, I'm Matt Ray because he can get in here and like really defend it. But like I've always, it's not that like the idea of these culture talks aren't important. It's just I've always been fascinated that all it really is is like the geeks and the nerds and in, in the engineering group 
kind of just publicly acknowledging that working in enterprise software companies can be very, very challenging. And the yeah. cultures can be very challenging. And they've just come up with like a whole, you know what I mean? It's like as an as engineering groups will, they've come up with like a whole like, if you will, uh, cottage industry just talking about it, right? Mm. Like, hey, we should do like uh, blameless postmortems, blah, blah, blah. But like when you step back from it, it's like, no, like everybody in, in the company feels this way. Like everybody I think has some yeah, kind of yeah. sense of like the culture is like really difficult, but they're just not as like, I think, you know, marketing or sales groups can kind of handle it different ways. They don't necessarily have uh, like, a, you know, they're not dedicated to like, Hey, I figured out that the culture's bad. We're going to fix it. And we're going to have all these talks. It's more like, no, the culture isn't something that can easily change. I get that. Uh, it's always going to be hard to navigate, but we're not going to like, you know, there isn't this ongoing conference where it's like, no, that's just work. You know what I mean? It's just like, I just go to work every day <laughs> and I acknowledge that like some days are going to be really hard. I'm going to have difficult interpersonal conversations and I'm going to have to work hard at like being a better communicator, yeah, you know, yeah. not being defensive. Yeah. Also just like getting my point. And it's, it's just interesting, right? It's just like, Oh, well we figured this out. It's like, no, everybody like struggles with, uh, yeah. the culture of the company. So I don't know. That's why I'm always just like on this whole thing. It's like, there's nothing. It's like, it's not new guys. Like it isn't new. I'm glad that you're talking. Maybe the fact that maybe to give credit though, maybe the fact that they raised the level of discussion, like they demand to talk about it. Right. Whereas maybe other groups and companies aren't demanding to talk yeah, about it. No, uh, I, and, is, and is I, the change. I think that's exactly like the important thing in, in the, just to use DevOps in the most, uh, um, incorrectly all inclusive definition, right. Not to sidetrack us on another thing, but like, I think that your point is exactly why it's a thing and is, um, I don't know, an important, useful thing that differentiates DevOps from other stuff, which is to say the, to use their language, I don't know why it's there, to use the language like paint, creating the right kind of culture is maybe the most important thing you're going to do. And the right kind of culture is one that's self-reflective and like uh, learning and always trying to figure out a better way of doing something. And a lot of that is supported by the technology underneath. I mean, basically to use SRE terms, a lot of the technology underneath there removes a lot of toil so that you have free time and mental energy. And, uh, you know, uh, my daughter's in the room and a, and a, and a big bucket of giving a fuck uh, available to actually pay attention to culture. Um, you know, like, you remember that chart that was in, uh, I think it was Jesse Robbins in 2007, if I remember. This is like, this was the, uh, the IBM Red Hat slide, the Docker roadmap slide of, of 2007. I think it was called, uh, the secret sauce of startups. And, and I always had, have tried to find the data behind this chart and I'm pretty sure they just made it up. But, there's one chart that shows like it would take like uh, three days to provision a server. And then the next chart next to it shows that it takes like five minutes. And basically the point they're making is like, if you have all that time left over, you can actually worry about all these other things. So to go back up the stack, so you've, you automate everything to use your A and columns or whatever. And then you pay attention to a culture that's basically like, so uh, not only would we like to do things the best way possible, but we would like to put a process in place that would allow us to continually refine and do things in the best way possible, which I think is a uh, a stark contrast to 
in in IT, like IT has been at this kind of like, I don't know what a stable equilibrium is, but it sounds like what I'm talking about. It's just like this stable equilibrium. I think if we had Schaefer here, he would call it like a, uh, I don't know, a Gordonian Nash equilibrium, uh, Petro Talabian black swan or something. He's got some fancy terminology for it, but like everything kind of works and no one has motivation to change. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, that's the way IT has been forever. Like there's no reason to change anything. You have help desks, you got waterfall process or whatever. Even you have your scrum fall stuff. Whereas the DevOps people came around and they were like, well, actually, if we automate everything, uh, we can improve stuff. So I know what I was talking about originally. So, and, and to your point of like, <laughs> I like the way you're putting it. Like, yeah, that's, uh, it's like, Hey, Hey kids, Hey, little shavers and shaverettes. Let me give you some grandpa wisdom. That's what we call work. <laughs> but but uh like i think i think that's that it becomes particularly important if you read like all the uh the change management culture including this book the corporate culture survival guide is it's really interesting because like the it really uh shows not the not the negative way the myopicism if that's a word of the devops stuff but it shows how it applies this kind of thinking applies to the rest of the organization and there's some good tactical things of like identifying the type of culture it is. And if you feel like you need to change that culture, here's kind of some ways of going about it. And to the point you've been raising, like some danger, some problems that you'll have. And I was thinking of this because you were, um, when you were going over, you don't want to be an outsider coming in to an engineering culture, which I'm pretty sure is what Google Cloud is, right? I, I always wonder where the advertising people are in Google. Like you don't really hear about them very much, but they must have some really good culture of advertising in there uh, or advertising operations, I guess, which, which is fine. Anyways, you got an engineering culture. And if you're trying to change an engineering culture as an outsider, the main way you do it is usually don't, <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> don't try. like it's cause it's very dangerous. And, but the, the, the thing, I think the thing that like this book and others will in this situation will tell you to do is, Instead of changing the engineering culture, you need to identify where, to use an old Spolsky term, where the engineering culture becomes a leaky abstraction into the management and the business culture, right? Where you you keep the engineers doing their things where they're rewarded for being smart and being clever and delivering things. And you want to like allow them to wear like no shoes at work and, you know, whatever. Like, so you keep that going on, but you don't want to allow the engineering culture to, to, to drive uh, the way the business culture works and the way sales works. Now, if that works, then you should do it. But you want to be able to change that around a bit. So you kind of isolate the engineering culture down there. Because once you screw with the engineers, then things will just, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work well. I mean, that's it's all over. It all had. goes downhill from there. Yeah, yeah. And and so that, that's kind of, they use the case, a case study in this book of um, uh, a Swiss pharmaceuticals company that merged with a German one. I forget. It's like Siba Saigoer or some some name like that. And uh, it, it, they 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 do chemicals, uh, you know, being pharmaceutical. And so it's sort of like, well, we have, and they're also German and Swiss. They're like, we have to do things perfectly, otherwise, you know, like shit blows up. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so it was pervasive in their culture that everything is done perfectly and there's a hierarchy and it's very rigorous and scientific. And so when they were trying to like, you know, all these case studies of change management come from the nineties. I don't, I don't think there's that many good ones uh, 
from nowadays, at least I've come across. But basically it was like, yeah, but now we need to sell globally, which means we have to be a lot more agile and nimble. And compared to uh, uh, a chemistry or an engineering culture, we're basically going to be kind of like reckless and just try out a bunch of things because we're trying to hustle. And like, as you can imagine, like the culture rebelled against that. And they're like, oh, we don't do things that way. It's got to be all buttoned up and whatever. And so it became a detriment to the business side. Like, it's okay for the engineers to do all of that, but you got to uh, re-engineer that. And then finally, to stop droning on here and, and go to recommendations. Uh, the other thing that's interesting that you see over and over again in these these uh, these culture change books, which I would highly recommend you look up all these these books of corporate change, you know, leading change and the corporate culture survival guide. You're going to have to like turn off this part in your brain that says, whenever I'm reading about a compressed air company in Hong Kong or a uh, Swiss German company, this in no way applies to anything I would ever do. Just turn that off. It's fine. Just power through it. But you'll find all sorts of interesting things that apply uh, to things struggle with in digital transformation nowadays. And one of the, one of the interesting things that this is an example of is uh, and I don't know if it's put this stridently, but in most cases, if you've been trying to change the culture or the way a large existing organization works, your best bet is to probably bring in an outsider. And that outsider could be what they call a hybrid outsider, right? Where it's someone who like kind of works, m- might work in a division of that company or something elsewhere, but they're, they're, they're not like one of the founding sort of people. And you bring in an outsider because it's sort of like, this is kind of like one of those tricky, like 19th century, like Kantian proofs of some philosophy thing where you stack the deck. You're like, well, you want to replace Pete. You want to change the culture because the culture is not working. So the reason you bring in an outsider is because they are not part of that culture. If you pick someone from inside the culture, you're just perpetuating the thing that you didn't want. So therefore, you must always choose an outsider. QED, categorical imperative. I'm out, right? Uh and uh, so usually bringing in an outsider is uh, is what works well. And you got to set up a committee to understand the culture and all of that. But all of that aside, I, I don't I don't know if the problem is the culture of engineering at Google so much as just like needing to build up the field and the sales plays and the motions and all of that, that operational stuff of just like, how do I how do I and, you know, when I say the word hustle. I don't mean deceive. I just mean like hustle as in hustle on the field, like do the work uh, just to like, we need to set up the the mechanisms to hustle software. And um, I don't know. I think if you're a president of Oracle, you might know how to do that. So, uh, so do we have any uh, listener things uh, that we want to go over before recommendations, Brandon? We do. We want to tell all the listeners that, Hey, if you want a free software defined talk t-shirt, quickly becoming a vintage item that only a very few people will have. If you write us a review in iTunes and just send me an email at stickers at software defined talk.com, I will uh, send off a shirt. I sent off a shirt, uh, a couple shirts uh, earlier this week. So uh, Brian from Austin got a t-shirt. So that was an easy shipping one. I appreciate that. He wrote a, a quick little review for, for us and we really appreciate it. And uh, if, you know, just writing a review too much, you don't have time to do it. That's okay. You could still send us an email at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Just include your postal address and I'll send you a bunch of stickers. I'll send you even up to 20 because that's, I, I, I waited out. I can send up to 20 stickers and uh, it's just one stamp. So it's all good to me. So we really appreciate everyone listening to the show and all the feedback we get. So, uh, so keep, keep it up. 
And well, then, uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I noticed, uh, my, my daughter's here listening in as well. So keep, keep the language tidy, Brandon. I know, okay, I know, I know you're just always dropping the, uh, I mean, I'm, yep. I keep my language tidy. I don't know what your problem is. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, uh, I noticed I was just looking as I always do right when we're about to talk to it. We have some new iTunes reviews. Have you seen these? We have uh, four I, new reviews. Oh my gosh. So maybe I'm behind it. I saw, uh, maybe, uh, maybe those guys will be on next week. No, yeah. we'll read off some good ones. I we got, we got, uh, we got Mr. I assume it's a Mr. I don't, I don't want to be a, yeah, I don't want to be a him, her when it's a they, there or whatever. So no, don't, don't get all up in my grits about that. Uh, but from this, this individual, this entity, uh, called Jason Belk. And he says, every episode is a great mix of relax and funny banter with solid technical and business insight. I love the synergy between the hosts. Keep it up. Synergy indeed. And then, and then there's another one by a beweagle user. Uh, it's short as well. It says lots of good stuff, but then I'm saving time. I haven't even read this yet, but by it's a longer one. All of these five stars, by the way. And uh, oh, there's titles. Favorite new podcast to me is what the entity Jason Belk said. The review I didn't read, great show. And then this one is called Timely and Well-Focused. And it says parenthetically, sorta. And this is by <laughs> Lord Puppy Pants. And it says, right. SDT is a great podcast, period. It provides a perspective that tends to be sadly lacking. Well, I'm going to have to click more. Maybe I shouldn't read this. Sadly lacking in the multitudes of pure technolo- technical and pure business content, which is that the business and engineering are inextricably linked in the enterprise market. Well, you should go check out the uh, the rest of this. Oh, here's my name. I'm going to read this part. It says, Cote's Columbo-esque leading around to various points is entertaining and valuable. And then they say he says nice things about you too. So... Great. Well, I'll just say this, and I'll say, uh, Brian. I know Brian and Jason got t-shirts, and I will. I don't know if what was it, puppy. I've not Lord Puppy Pants. I don't know. I haven't. I don't know that one. So I'll have to uh, go on there. But yes, Lord Puppy Pants. You'll also get a t-shirt. So thank you, thank you all for writing reviews. I appreciate that. Excellent. All right. Well, uh, I'm going to be in Toronto, December 12th and 13th at the Spring Tour. You should come there. It'll be fun. And uh, that's that's basically, I, I had some travel previously, but I'm not doing that anymore. That's all the travel I'm going to have the rest of the year. I, I know, I'm going to be at a Dell Technologies Forum in Utrecht. I forget when that is. I know where you can get American steaks in Utrecht. So you should come down there. I'll bring my corporate Amex. We'll get a T-bone. <laughs> It'll be good stuff. But uh, so with that, um, as always, you should join our Slack channel. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash Slack, uh, it's a great place to hang out. It's a nice, thriving place nowadays. Check that out. And uh, we're, there'll probably be some things over in our Software Defined Interviews podcast at, you guessed it, softwaredefinedinterviews.com. I still have a, uh, uh, I still have an interview with Derek Harris that I need to post sometime. What? You haven't done that? Hey, Coach, we should promote. You know what we're going to do? We're going to do, this is unprecedented. We're going to promote next week's show because next week, Obviously, here in the U.S. it's Thanksgiving, but next week will be uh, the AWS reInvent. Oh, yeah. So yes. uh, I won't be there, at least in person, but I will try to watch as many as the videos as well. And this is always like, if there's ever a time you should join the Slack channel, I believe that the Slack channel peaks in uh, usefulness uh, during the AWS reInvent keynotes where everyone is in there uh, commenting on uh, all, all kinds of crazy. That's true. Whether, That's true. Whether it be crazy uh, announcements or just. Uh, 
last year, like I made a big deal out of the the weird singing thing. Like they sang in between each. Yeah. Uh, I know you're thing, watching so. the play by play on the live stream. It was it was fun. So yeah, if you just if you know, I don't know if you have to watch this for your job or you're interested in it. Like this is it just having the slack up is a good way to uh, just you know pass the time. You so, should you so. should set up one of those uh, those those uh, is it Twitch or Deviance. <laughs> Or whatever that is, and 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 you can since since uh, you can you can have a Twitch watching of the Amazon. Can you do that? Can you have a live stream in a live stream? And I then, think you can like live stream some of this content, but I think you could you could live stream commentary about the oh, content. Oh, that would be great. So and then be, and then right. can I can I play the role of uh, John Madden or that guy that Will Ferrell yeah. did an impersonation of? Like, would you eat the moon if it was made of cheese? Yes. And, now wash yes. it down with an ice cold Coca Cola. What yeah, was that guy name? Harry something? I, I cannot remember. But you should. You should get in Slack. And the other thing is, uh, I'm not sure why, so but I'm gonna throw it anyway. We have a, an Instagram account. Yes. Now. So like we have a, we have them all. We have Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Instagram. We even have a Facebook page because you needed a Facebook page to have an Instagram account. Oh That's a whole God. other episode. We won't get into that. What but, are they uh, doing to our culture, Brandon? I don't know. I don't know. But uh, because now that everyone hates Facebook, you know what? We're getting on. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, did, you, did to, you see the, did you see the title of that weeds episode recently, which was like, uh, yeah, Facebook, Facebook is, is destroying the world, comma, join our Facebook group. Yeah. No, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was fantastic. And I, 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 I yeah, in, in that spirit, it's like, I don't know. I feel like we have talked about a bunch of stuff that's been visual lately. So it's like, Hey, why don't we put it on Instagram? So I don't know what the Instagram account will become, but Here, here's, here's what I think we should, we'll add, uh, uh, the funny album art for each episode with a link to overcast and iTunes. That's what I want to try with. And then, uh, any visuals that we mentioned. And I think also if you have uh, stickers on things, send us that picture and you should have yourself in it. And then we'll put pictures of, uh, you and, uh, your stickers on things. And, uh, that, that'll be, that'll be good to start with whatever. There you go. Well, I did just because I was like, well, I got once I created the account, I was like, I got to post something. So I posted the uh, IBM Red Hat slide because we made such a big deal yeah. out of that before. Slide so there, of the you year. Can check it out. You, right. you can go you can go to that Instagram account and check it out. All right. Well, all right. What's your recommendation this week? Uh, my recommendation is uh, the new Amazon show Homecoming, which was based off the podcast from Gimlet Media Homecoming. It has uh, Julia Roberts on it. In it, it's uh, it was kind of a slow start, but it's it's pretty short. They're like eight episodes or maybe ten episodes, but they're just thirty minutes each, so it's real easy, very bingeable, very like just sort of a kind of thriller, but not like not a lot of action, but more cerebral stuff. So I liked it. So check it out if you uh, if you like kind of the I would say kind of a cerebral thriller, but not too much gore violence. Check that out. It's fun. Well, I, I have I have two recommendations. One of them is sort of like uh, a little a little a little self congratulatory parade. One of them, uh, if you, if you, you know what, even if you don't go to London that much or the UK, you should, you should register for the UK registered traveler. Cause down here, uh, in, in Europe, I, for, I don't know how to pronounce it. So I always think of it as Shingy. If you remember that guy from AOL, we got this Shingy thing, uh, where it, it means basically you can go across all the countries with no passport checks. So it's just like going state to state. It's awesome. And I don't know what they're doing up there in jolly old England, but you got to go through passport control. And, you know, I don't know if that's because like we're, you know, the Europeans are telling them how to make their cheese or something or stealing their jobs. I don't care. They need to figure that out. But if you get the UK registered traveler, you can just go through the UK line, just scan the, and just scan your passport and do that. It's really easy. I think you pay like 60 bucks and you just give them your information and then you're, you're all set. So do that. Now, my second recommendation 
is, uh, you know, I used to be all like Tim Ferriss paleo person for many years since 2010. And I think in August, when I moved here, I was thinking like, I should try something new. So in, I, I, I've mentioned this once, but I've been using the Lose It app, which is basically a calorie counter thing. And then also following a little practice uh, I learned from, uh, of, you know, people like John Syracuse called Eat Less. And uh, and it works. Like, I think I've lost like 15 pounds or something. I forget. Maybe maybe even a little more. But this also means uh, you can eat bread and carbohydrates. Just like you can eat them. And they're delicious. If you've been avoiding bread, look into bread. It's uh, it's done a lot since you've eaten it last time. And, it, and it's tasty. So with that, uh, this as always has been software defined talk. The, this episode is available, the show notes for it, which are, which are extensive more or less. If you go to softwaredefinedtalk.com slash 156, you can find the show notes and links to the Slack channel, how to get stickers. You should go over to Instagram and just, I don't know, follow our Instagram thing. As Brandon said, honestly, I have no idea what that does, but it's fun. And, uh, yeah, if, if you, uh, if you're Mr. Uh, Puffy Pants, you got to tell us who you are and then Brandon will send you a shirt. And remember, if you write an iTunes, I don't know if this is like terms of agreement, but if you, uh, if you write a, an iTunes review, uh, we'll try to, uh, get a shirt to you. Uh, and do you want to say goodbye to every, here, I'm going to say bye and then you say bye. Okay. Bye bye. Bye bye. <laughs>